Welcome to another episode of Pandemic Parenting with Pep, a podcast designed to help parents thrive, not just survive, this extra stressful period of parenting through the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Robbie Fox, a certified parent educator with the Parent Encouragement Program, or PEP, as it's commonly known. PEP has been providing proven, positive parenting education for nearly 40 years through in-person and online classes, and more recently has been offering free webinars and other resources to parents and caregivers struggling with life's current demands and stresses. You can access all of these resources through PEP's website at pepparent.org. Today, I am joined by Dana Spencer, a certified parent educator with the Parent Encouragement Program for the past 10 years. Um, And she's agreed to talk with us today about limit setting, which has become a bit of a challenge um, during quarantine. Dana is one of PEP's leading teachers of classes for parents of younger kids and also hosts many of PEP's online courses and webinars. Sibling rivalry between her two oldest kids is what drove her to PEP, and she stayed because she found the tools so helpful. Dana is currently quarantined with her three teenagers, so she is actively practicing what she's going to tell us today about limit setting. Welcome, Dana. How are things going in your house these days? Thank you. Things are going amazingly well, Um, not without bumps, not without trials, not without me having to remind myself, okay, what do you know from your pep principles? But really, what I do know has served me very well through all of this. Well, great. So hopefully you can share some of that with us today. Um, When it comes to parenting, what are limits and why are they important? So... Limits are the established boundaries for acceptable behavior that are specific to our family. So let me say that again. Limits are the established boundaries for acceptable behavior that is specific for our family. So in our society, we have physical limits such as guardrails on highways, fences, stair railings, they're everywhere. And Mm -hmm. these things are there to let us know how far we can go, where we can and can't go, Many are designed to keep us safe and to make it very clear to everyone what is allowed and what is not. And the limits in our home work very similarly. Um, Think of a family limit in terms of a backyard. So imagine you have a large backyard full of all kinds of entertaining things for your children, but your yard butts up against a really busy street. In your yard, there's a large swing set, a sandbox, there are balls and bats and sticks of all kinds. Maybe there's a sports court. Whatever it is your children or your teenager would most enjoy, but there's no fence. So naturally you're concerned about the passing cars and you tell your children they're only allowed to use a small section of the yard opposite from the busy street. Mm -hmm. That would take an incredible amount of the parents' time trying to enforce playing on that one side of the yard because we all know the child's going to gravitate to the soccer ball and begin dribbling and get happily engaged and completely forget about the limit, or a ball's going to go flying out of the backyard and into the street. And so the parent has to be really engaged and involved to make sure that everyone stays safe and that this rule is followed. Mm -hmm. That's what we call freedom without limits. Now imagine the exact same backyard with a really strong, well-built fence all the way around it. Mm-hmm. You can breathe a sigh of relief thinking about that, right? right. I mean, kids are free to utilize the entire backyard. They can kick the balls, they can swing on the swings, they can chase butterflies without having to worry about stumbling into the street. And the fence provides a really clear limit. You as a parent 
are much freer to relax and enjoy, maybe to go inside, leave your kids be, because the limit, the fence is there to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. This is what we call freedom within limits. And it frees children and parents alike to make it easier for everyone because the limit is clearly defined. So if you can think about those two analogies, when you think about setting limits for your kids, um, hopefully that visual will give you an idea of what you're doing. And it's interesting, the limit actually creates space because now they can use the whole yard rather than right. just this little portion. It creates space and it frees the parent from having to constantly be trying to figure out how to keep their kids where they want them to be. So the other yard that we think about, and I think this is where most of us live and don't even really acknowledge or realize it, or maybe we know it and we don't know how to fix it, is we live in that same yard with a haphazardly and uh, installed fence. So this one has holes where the dog is dug underneath it. Maybe some of the slats are missing. Maybe there's a broken gate that's flapping open, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> so the kids are taking this as a serious fence. They look at it and they think, but I could walk right through that hole or I could walk right through that gate. It's so easy for me to go get the ball. I don't need to check in with you or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the fence that also requires a lot of parental attention, but it's so frustrating because we think we have a fence, but the fence isn't holding, isn't holding our kids safe. And so we feel like we're constantly out there repairing the fence and we're getting exasperated. And this is freedom with unclear limits. This is when we think we've set limits, but we haven't been clear. So everybody's not quite sure where the fence is. And ultimately it's up to us as parents to provide a good, solid, strong fence so that we can allow our kids to enjoy the entire yard so that they can grow and learn and make mistakes and do all kinds of things within that yard safely. I love that, that those visuals that really gives an idea of, of what we're trying to build here. Um, how has the pandemic affected our establishing of limits and, and our <laughs> security of our fence? I'm hearing a lot of parents talking about issues, especially around screens and schoolwork, which perhaps were issues before. Maybe there were holes in the fence around those before, and now they've turned into gaping, right. <laughs> gaping right. holes. So um, what do you see? So I get the impression that parents are struggling with, with how involved they need to be. Mm -hmm. um, usually school gives us a buffer where our kids are out of sight, out of mind the majority of the day. And now they're underfoot all the time. So what used to be a little over-involvement on our part is now multiplied because we're now with them 24 hours a day. Or where we used to be able to let go because the teachers were handling it, parents are being asked to get involved. And I think parents are struggling to find the balancing point I think having kids home is also creating a lot more household work. Kids are messy and mine at least eat a lot. <laughs> I have three teenage boys and they create a lot of laundry. So we're trying to find ways to cope with the added mess and the added stress. And maybe most importantly, there used to be routines built into our day. And our kids had school at a certain time. So a normal bedtime wasn't really an issue. Mm -hmm. But we were all caught off guard, really, because none of us five weeks ago was thinking, what am I going to do if my teenager refuses to go to online classes and stays up till 4 a.m. playing the PS4? Like, <laughs> what am I going to do if my younger child ends up with nothing to do? Or I'm wrangling three kids under the age of five while I'm still trying to work. Like, I think we just all got really surprised by it all. Um, 
you know, one of my go-tos in difficult times is Brene Brown. And she has a fabulous podcast series that I've been listening to lately. And she gave the analogy, she thinks at this point in the pandemic, she was comparing it to when our kids were little and they didn't really understand how to play soccer. So they would kick at everything, no matter how high or out of reach, like they just were all over the place. And she thinks similarly, we've been kicking at all the high balls for so long that we're just exhausted. And we've come to the point in the pandemic where we have to learn to settle the ball. Like we have to learn to play smarter because we just don't have the adrenaline or the stamina to keep going like this. Mm -hmm. And so um, learning to settle the ball is actually a great analogy for what effective limit setting can help us do. It basically allows us to set the guidelines to allow ourselves to breathe and to focus on what we need, what we, needs to happen and how we can get it done. Um, the other thing we're doing as parents, and I'm doing this too, I'm having to catch myself as we're awfulizing a whole lot. So awfulizing is when we take a situation that just is. Um, my kid just made a huge mess in the kitchen and walked away. That's just what is. But then we make it the worst case scenario. We tell ourselves stories like, he is so thoughtful and disrespectful, he doesn't care about my time. Or he's never going to learn to take responsibility for himself, right? We go to the worst case scenario. Instead of just looking at solutions, we start scaring ourselves with worst case scenarios, or we start getting resentful because we, we think it's personal when in fact it was just an absent-minded kid who walked off and left the peanut butter all over the counter. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of that. We're, we're taking a little bit of truth and we're filling in the gaps with our own fears and our own um, thoughts. And we need to get back to what, what is really happening, what are the needs of the situation, and what's the best way we can resolve what's happening. I remember being told to drop the words never and always because that's what I would do. He never cleans up after himself. <laughs> he always leaves a mess. And it's, you know, those are the first two words to drop as a parenting because they're all, they're, they're not always perfect and they're not always pigs. So right. um, yeah, I, it's de definitely awfulizing. It's hard not to um, under today's situation and stress. So what are the main steps in setting limits? How do we, how do we start to build that fence? So the first, the first steps to, to setting limits is establishing just a couple of things. Pick no more than three things that you and your partner feel really strongly about. These are things that you are going to go to the mat for every time. You are not, not going to negotiate. So these tend to be things like health and safety. So for parents of teens, texting and driving is never going to be something you're willing to negotiate. Mm -hmm. For little ones, walking unattended in a parking lot, you know, you can give them the freedom of limited choices, left hand or right hand, mom's hand or dad's hand, but at the end of the day, you're not gonna negotiate your child walking in a parking lot by themselves. So that's how you start with your limits. Once you have your health and safety limits down, then you can look at other areas of your life that you feel particularly strongly about. And my family limits are going to look different from your family limits. are going to look different from a third family's limits. And that's okay. Because mm -hmm. what really matters is what is what resonates with you and what matters to you. So for example, when my kids were little, I didn't feel safe with them jumping on the furniture. That was a limit for us. And I was willing to go to the map for it every time. You, Robbie, may not care or didn't care if your kids jumped on the furniture. So that wouldn't have needed to have been a limit in your household. 
ultimately the fences you choose to establish are yours and they can vary based on your family values and priorities. Just um, know that they need to be something you feel strongly about. Right. Then when your child argues, and they will, but Robbie's, you know, when I'm at Robbie's house, we get to jump on the furniture, <laughs> then your simple answer is different families, different limits. And I've used that mantra hundreds of times over the years that have helped me get through why our family limits look different than someone else's. That the fewer that we set, the more energy we have to be consistent about enforcing them. Absolutely. And also the less exhausted everyone is for trying to remember what they all are. If you just have a handful and everybody knows clearly, it makes it so much easier for everyone to follow. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and so again, start with those three things that you feel strongly about implementing and upholding and test. Ask yourself and ask your partner how much you really care about this limit before you set it. Because once your kids learn that you're not serious about holding, upholding limits, you're in trouble, mm -hmm. right? Because if they think, well, this limit wasn't that important and dad let me slip, um, then they assume that all limits are negotiable. Then they start thinking about what other limits may not be serious. And that's how we start getting the holes in the fence. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so, so decide what your buttons are, your hot buttons are, and, and with a partner, I guess sometimes there might be negotiation. Your husband might have had different um, priorities than you, than you did, but you both need to enforce whatever it is you agree upon. That's right. Okay. And you can have different mini limits, meaning my kids were absolutely allowed to wrestle and jump on my husband. They weren't allowed to jump on me. I just not of the same physical stature. That's okay. They, it's not hard for them to understand that, that we had um, different limits around that. Okay. You, you kind of agreed what your limits are, um, what ones you're willing to go to the mat for, and then what, what comes after that? So once you and your partner have decided what your main couple of limits are, you need to go back and let your kids know. And so if it's a health and safety and it's something that has been concerning, then you can just go back and let them know in a very non-judgmental way. I've noticed that, and whatever it is, I've noticed that you've gone into the street several times to chase your ball. And I'm concerned that a car is going to catch you unaware and I'm not willing to learn that lesson the hard way. So what I propose is, and you can let them know what you, how you feel, or you can say, do you have ideas about how we could go about this? And basically you, you and your child figure out what you're going to do when the ball goes into the street and you're going to honor that limit. So when the ball goes into the street, we've agreed you're going to come get mom and dad and we will go get the ball for you no matter what we have going on. Or um, when the ball goes into the street, you're gonna come tell mom and dad and we'll give you a backup ball. And as soon as we're available, we'll come out and get the ball, but you are not to go into the street and make that very clear. So that's kind of when a health and safety is involved and that's how you, you somewhat involve the child. Is there a way to involve um, our children in limit setting when it's maybe not a health and safety issue? Let's say technology use. Absolutely. So one of the non-safety limits that I uphold in my household, and I will go to the mat for every time, is no electronic devices at the dinner table for anyone. So it's very, very important to me that we have 15 minutes a day as a family with no distractions. And so 
my husband doesn't bring his phone, I don't bring my computer, no one has devices. So how did we get there? Um, whenever you have, first of all, I absolutely encourage you to involve kids in limit setting. There is an anonymous quote at the beginning of the negotiation generation, tell me and I may forget, show me and I may remember, involve me and I will understand. So we will actually set better limits when we understand what it is we're setting limits around. One of the biggest mistakes we make as parents is we think that we have to figure out what the limit is and then enforce it. And that is a lot of pressure on us and it's also incredibly ineffective. Kids are much more likely to stay within the guidelines if they have a say in establishing what those guidelines are. And you're much more likely to choose good limits when we know what we're setting limits around. What I would encourage parents to do is to have conversations with I notice and I wonder statements. So I've noticed that, I'm concerned that, I wonder if you have ideas. Um, I, I actually was just consulting with someone who has a 15 year old daughter who was staying up till four or 5 a.m. through this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, I encourage the mom to say something along the lines of, I've noticed you're staying up until the early morning hours. I'm really concerned about your sleep and I'm missing you so much during the day. I'm wondering if you could tell me what's going on. Or you could say, I wonder if you have some ideas for how we could all be back on a more scheduled routine. And then just zip it and listen. And so for this teen, she was staying up late playing video games that she otherwise wasn't allowed to play. Mm -hmm. And for many, that immediately brings up images of punishment or how dare she. But remember, we're on a fact-finding slash problem-solving mission. So we need to stay the course and see where this takes us. So she talked to her daughter about the games, what they entailed, why they mattered to her. And through the dialogue, the mom was able to become more comfortable with the forbidden games. She recognized that her daughter was growing up and needed more independence and that maybe she was of an age where these games might actually be appropriate for her. Um, and they worked out an agreement where her daughter could play the games during daylight hours. And as well, they agreed that lights out would be at a reasonable time for the current situation and that the daughter would resume functioning as a part of their family. And so they set guidelines around that. Like, what does it look like for you to function? Um, for them, it was coming to dinner every night to help with some household responsibilities, which they figured out. Um, and then they agreed to try it for two days and then reevaluate. And mm -hmm. this mom did really good work. Um, she listened and she problem solved and she got on her daughter's side and they solved the issue together. So together they created what the fence looked like for the new normal. And you won't be surprised, but there was pushback for the first couple of days. Mm -hmm. And her daughter thought of the things that she wished she had included in the agreement and she missed the first lights out by an hour. And the mom was surprisingly, she was really good. She didn't say a word about missing lights out by the first hour. Mm -hmm. She focused on the positive. And what she did is she chose to, to focus on the fact that she had made it to bed three hours earlier than the night before and said, you know, tonight, I think you're really gonna make it. Mm -hmm. um, and because 1 a.m. looked a whole lot better than 4 a.m. And so right. they'll just keep repeating the cycle, this conversation cycle for as long as they need to for everyone to feel comfortable um, until this is just the way their family functions. And they'll keep amending as their daughter changes and grows and circumstances change and grow. 
And that was an incredibly respectful way. The mother was able to express her concerns, but also involve the daughter um, and just sort of open up that communication, that dialogue. I know one thing that worked, you talked about the pushback and, and the daughter saying, I wish I had included this or that. I know one thing that worked um, for me with my daughter, who was an incredible negotiator, was putting it down in writing. We had an agreement book. Um, so when we came up with some sort of new limit or agreement about something, what happened if we just did it verbally is we tended to remember it differently <laughs> later on. And so if we put it in writing and she would write it down, we both would sign and date it. That way when she tried some pushback, I would just say, well, I don't know, let's go back and look and see what the agreement book says, because I seem to remember that a little differently. Um, and she would kind of be like, okay, never mind, because she knew. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I know having something like that was really helpful in our household as well. So you mentioned like not following up consistently um, and perhaps setting too many limits, but how else might parents sabotage their limit setting? I think the, the key saboteur is threatening. Um, we say we're going to do something and then we don't do it. Um, for example, if you are, if you're on FaceTime with your parent and your child walks through the room and you say, you need to come get on the phone with grandma. Well, that's completely disrespectful for what your child was doing at that moment, regardless of age. Right. And the child says, oh, I'm in the middle of something. I'll talk to her later. And we say, and, and the parent says, no, you need to go over and talk to grandma right now, or we're never calling her again. <laughs> well, that child knows, of course you're calling grandma again. And so what that child hears is, I can't always trust my mom. Like what my mom, sometimes when my mom tries to make me do things, she doesn't really mean it. And so that sets us up at a disadvantage from the beginning, because if our child doesn't know we're always telling them the truth and we're always saying what we mean and meaning what we say, then they learn that what we say is selective. And sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't. So we have to be consistent with our language and with our expectations with them. And if we mess up, we just do a do-over. I'm so sorry. That is not what I meant to say. Let me try again. Mm -hmm. So what's the message you'd kind of like to end with? The top, you know, things that you want parents to take away? Um, so much of limit setting is just about conversation. It's just about being curious about what is really going on with my kid. It's acknowledging whatever the need is, you know, the need to jump on the furniture, the need to be in contact with my friends, that whatever is driving it, once you understand that, then you can better set limits or not set limits around it. So, you know, the three takeaways, I was um, reading about how everyone can take away three things that they can draw on and use later. So my three takeaways for this audience is, only set limits you are uphold each and every time. Prepare yourself because your kids are going to test and give yourself a two to three trial, two to three day trial period where you can reevaluate. So the testing period, um, you're going to agree to your limit, whatever it is, you're gonna work it out together. And then you're going to say, we're gonna try this for 48 hours and then we'll come back your child is gonna come up with all kinds of things that they, just like the child in the example, all kinds of things they wish they included or things they wish they hadn't agreed to or whatever it is and they're gonna push and they're gonna ask for the exception and they're gonna do all kinds of things because they wanna see how serious you are. Mm -hmm. And if you hold out for 20 times and then on the 21st time you give in, 
you've accidentally just taught your child, it takes 20 times to break my parent. <laughs> and so we don't want to do that. So right. we want to hold firm. And we can, keep we can keep going back to, I hear you. I hear you would have liked to have included that. And we'll look at it when we reevaluate re tomorrow evening. And keep saying that mantra. Don't negotiate, don't engage, don't get involved. Keep repeating the mantra then the evaluation period allows you an out. If, it, what, if there isn't a good part of the limit, if there's part of the limits not working for you or part of the limit that your child is really pushing hard on and you need to renegotiate, gives you room to figure out what's working and what's not. Right. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention with the fences, and I think this is important for parents to understand. So many times when parents start trying to set limits, they get so rigid, they think they can never, ever, ever give in. So if they say bedtime is at, you know, nine o'clock, it always has to be at nine o'clock. But there's a reason fences have gates. And fences have gates because sometimes we need to open them up and be a little more flexible. And so if it's a birthday sleepover, bedtime can be amended for the night. If there is a paper due and the child needs to stay up till midnight to finish it and they've put in a good faith effort, we can open the gate and allow for exceptions. Just mm -hmm. acknowledge to your child this is an exception, and once this time period is over, we're gonna close the gate and go back to normal. Mm -hmm. So the limit hasn't changed just because of this one yes. modification. So, um, and I think it also just, it comes down to, as you've alluded to, any limit worth setting is worth upholding. Yes. But we don't have to be controlling about it. Oh, please don't. <laughs> the more controlling you are, the more pushback you will receive, I promise. I can guarantee that. Yeah. Okay, so I have a few rapid fire questions I like to ask uh, each person at the end of their segment. Um, I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite parenting resource? It could be a book, a podcast, and you, you alluded to um, Brene Brown's new Unlocking Us podcast, which is fabulous. Um, is there some other parenting resource that's kind of been your go-to over the years? Yeah. So, of course, I love PEP. That goes without saying. Um, but I'm also a big fan of Tina Payne Bryson. Whenever I don't know what to do or I get a little stuck or I need a little reminder, I go back to her No Drama Discipline book or I Google something specific to see what she has to say on it because she is so incredibly PEP-friendly that she almost always knows what to say. Um, and I do love Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown for me. I love Tina Payne Bryson for my parenting. Gotcha. Um, is there a parenting tip that's really stuck with you or served you best over the years? Yeah. Um, so Julie Lithcott-Hames, who, who was one of our noted parenting authors and wrote How to Raise an Adult, she talks about how so many parents were getting parenting all wrong, that we think our job is to raise our kids to, to be 18. And that our job is to focus on getting them into the right school or lining them up for the right job. And in reality, our job as parents is to raise kids to be functioning adults in society. Mm -hmm. So what kind of kid do I want to send out into the world when he no longer lives with me? We do this exercise in preschoolers that I adore. And we started off and we ask people, what characteristics would you like your child to have when he or she no longer lives with you? And they're pretty typical um, characteristics that anyone would want their, their child to have, right? I want them to be independent. I want them to be kind. I want them to, you know, give something back to the world, I, right? I want them to uh, problem solve and hear their own voice and all of these amazing things. 
And then we talk about how that ultimately is our job as parents, is to enable our children to acquire all of these characteristics and skills to take into the world. Mm -hmm. Who do we want them to be to raise their children? And so everything we do as parents, we're thinking about, am I headed in the right direction? Am I getting my children to the place where they're going to have the characteristics I'd like them to have when they're on their own? Um, or am I getting in the way of that? And that's a really good checkpoint that I frequently use with myself to say, am I on the right path or am I off in the grass and need to, need to go back around? Well, what's interesting is a couple of those traits you mentioned, independence and having their own voice and kind of knowing how to advocate for themselves or whatever, are things that they have to practice at home, right? Yes. How are they going to learn to be those things unless they practice them at home? But then that can be difficult to parent because we're thinking of it from a controlling standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. And we need to give them room. And that's the beauty of limits. Limits say you can do all kinds of things up until this point. And at this point, right? And it could be, what I hear a lot with preschoolers is how do I get my child to stop hitting his or her sibling? <laughs> and, and I, you know, upholding a limit that we don't hurt each other is a limit that I would encourage every family to have. And you're, you know, your child is going to fail miserably on this multiple times because they're a child and they're learning impulse control and they're learning emotions and they're learning all kinds of things for the first time. But that doesn't mean you stop upholding the limit. So I don't hit dad, dad doesn't hit me, we don't hit you, right? But you can, you can yell, you can feel sad, you can feel all these emotions, you can talk to me about things, you can feel disappointed, like we're gonna work through all of that together, but the limit is we don't harm each other, mm -hmm. right? And so that's, that's how we're using limits. Like there's lots of room in the middle to learn all these lessons up until we get to the fence. Right, okay. Um, and my last one is, do you have a favorite family tradition or something um, that really stands out you do for family fun? Um, so my boys and I love to bake cookies. And this is something my grandmother did with me and my mother did with me. And I started with my kids. And to this day, I can get all three of them in the kitchen if I say you want to bake cookies. <laughs> and we bake for other people, which I love. Um, we bake for the teachers and we have a mass production. Like it's, it's hilarious. It takes the whole day. And we take up the dining room and the kitchen and we bag cookies and take them in. Um, and it's just something that my grandmother and my mother did with me that I love sharing with them that they seem to really enjoy too. Oh, that's great. It's, I can smell them baking now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dana, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. This is some great information that uh, hopefully parents can take to heart right now. Um, for more information about Dana or about the Parent Encouragement Program, please visit us at pepparent.org, uh, where again, you can find articles, blog posts, and information on how to access PEP's webinars and on-demand videos, which are currently being offered at 50% off. Um, until our next podcast, remember that parenting often requires the courage to be imperfect.